Howdy folks, welcome to the Newsprint Commando. This is the first episode of my Pacific Comics coverage. But before I get into that too deeply, let's take care of some feedback business here at the top of the show. If you want to tweet me, which is the surest, quickest way to interact, get any kind of feedback from me, now of course you can post any kind of feedback that you'd like, Teal Productions and News P Commando are the two places on Twitter. Teal is spelled like the color, T-E-A-L. Teal Productions has a Facebook page. You can leave comments there when I post the uh, episodes, or just leave comments there whenever you like. That's cool. I am IndieMan at gmail.com is the email address you can use. ComicBookNoise.TNC, Tango November Charlie, is the website where I post the episodes. And we have forums at justanotherfanboy.freeforums.net. Now, as I said, Pacific Comics. What I hope to do with this uh, second show of every month, the every four weeks, hopefully, I'll release an episode of uh, Newsprint Commando. And in those weeks, I will be alternating talking about Red Fox from Harrier Comics and Samurai from Aerosol. Every second Tuesday of the month, I'm going to release a second episode of Newsprint Commando, or third, I guess, just depending on how those fall, where I'll be talking about Pacific Comics. Uh, my goal is to read and talk about all of the books put out by Pacific Comics. Um, and at this point, I forget how many there are. Uh, they produced over a three-year period or so, um, probably, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred books at most uh, but the way that I have set it up that I would like to do it is I have taken a page from Mr. John Wilson's um, All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast in that every time I drop an episode, that episode will hopefully I will be talking about all of the books uh, according to on sale date released by Pacific in a particular month. Case in point, uh, I'm starting off with July 1981 which is the first month that they published. All of the books they published in July of 1981 equal one book. And that is their publishing schedule for almost their full year. Uh, when they get into like their 10th or 11th month or something like that, they start dropping multiple books. Now, in those instances, what I hope to do is still, uh, every time I drop episodes, they will be for a given uh, newsstand month of publication. I'll try to keep the episodes to about an hour each, and in that hour, I will talk about as many books as I can cover. In order to cover, you know, eight or ten books, I'll probably have to record two or three or four episodes, whatever. I will drop all of those episodes on the same day. So when I drop the Pacific Comics episodes, however many I need for given publication month, uh, you know, September 1982, I'll, I'll record as many episodes as I need, hopefully, to, to cover those shows. Again, trying to keep each episode to about an hour uh, in length. If that doesn't make sense, just hang on in another, I don't know, 10 to 12 to 18 months of listening to the show, you'll see what I'm talking about. If You'll be able to <laughs> refer back to what I said and see if what I said made any sense at the time. Um, regardless, I am looking at Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers issue number one from Pacific Comics. Now, this went on sale in July of 1981. Um, this probably has kind of a, a mark in publishing history because it is a book and it is near the 
the end of his career, but this is a book that was written and drawn by Mr. Jack Kirby. And those of you keeping score, 1981, yeah, that's that's pretty late in his career. So we're certainly on the downside of the amount of time he was in the industry. He'd already done his things at Marvel. Uh, he'd already done and left his things at DC as well. So he was a free agent getting ready to just move around and do pretty much what he wanted to, where he wanted to, when he wanted to at this point. And um, whatever the stories may be, he got caught up by Pacific Comics and talked into doing Captain Victory. Um, looks like he did that for uh, maybe about 12 or 13 issues, yeah, it looks like. So not real, real long, but again, it's written and drawn by Jack Kirby. The cover, as I'm looking at it, is just uber colorful. Um, in the upper left-hand corner, the Pacific Comics logo uh, is just PC. It's a bluish PC font in inside of an orange box. Over the top, though, it says Collector's Edition number one. Yeah, and I guess that remains to be seen. It was going for a buck in 1981. Um, I think that was a little a little pricey at the time, if I recall. 1981. I don't have any other books here in front of me to see what like Marvel and DC were going for, but I I was buying books then. I, I seem to remember a buck being kind of priced more than what the standard Marvel and DC. We're told new exciting original in defense of our galaxy. Then a big white banner with Captain Victory in orange bleeding into yellow large font letters and underneath the rest of the title and the Galactic Rangers. Uh, If you go to look up the book anywhere, you might find it under Captain Victory, but Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers is the full official title, uh, definitely according to the inside cover in Daisha as well. Now, this image of Captain Victory... um, He's a pretty stout-looking fellow. He's he's completely clothed in some kind of spacey jumpsuit, uh, blonde hair, strong chin, square chin. He's double-wielding uh, some kind of spacey guns here, okay, pointing uh, not directly at us, but at and off to an angle so it goes off the side of the cover. Behind him is this big explosion of something. We see other ships coming at him, Um Lower and from between his legs as he's standing with his legs kind of spread and kind of squatted down a little bit. Um, A ship here, presumably on his side, is shooting out towards those spaceships flying in. Very kinetic, very active cover, very covered with Kirby machines. The two guns in particular, the way that they're drawn and then the way that they're colored with their intricate mechanisms and buttons and, and wires and channels and yeah. It's it's Kirby uh, all the way. Inside front cover, we have a um, an editorial about Kirby, not by him. That's why it took me a minute to see to make sure. Front uh, story page here, the first story page. This is how it will happen when the star worlds come to Earth. Don't look for gods or gurus or benevolent gift givers. Prepare to meet Captain Victory and his galactic rangers. Now, that's the big narrator. Narrator continues here as far as story narration. If our vast universe spawns an infinite variety of planets and men, it must also breed special dangers, which only a force unique in purpose and method can deal with. Where this force arrives, a saga begins. And we have a a big image of, we're assuming it's Captain Victory because it looks just like the dude that was on the cover. So, you know, at this point, we'll go with that. 
Oh, pardon me. Before I get into this too much more, let me go on with who else created the book. Uh, as I said, probably multiple times at this point, it was scripted and penciled by Jack Kirby. The inks are by Mike Royer, as are the letters, and the colors are by Mr. Steve Olaf. And our main characters are, for the good guys, Captain Victory, Clavius, his second-in-command, and Mr. Mind, who is a unique individual uh, that is an important navigator information um, gatherer for the Galactic Rangers. And on the evil side, we have the Insectons, who is the, I guess, race, you could say, the evil race that the uh, Galactic Rangers are going up against, at least in this issue, and Lightning Lady, who is what the leader is called. Now, the Insectons don't really look overly human-like. They look more maybe uh, humanoid or anthropomorphic, I think is the word, anthropomorphic. Um, but Lightning Lady looks like a regular human, so I'll be interested to see how that works out. You heard my order. I want another computer check on the position of this solar system. What we're looking at may be a serious breach of galactic law, um, as Captain Victory is staring dead at us here on the first page. Behind him is probably uh, some sort of transparent window, a bubble or something, allowing us to look out into space, which if this four-figure drawing didn't convince you that this was a Jack Kirby creation, the space outside the clear viewing port is certainly adding to that this is Kirby between the two. I mean, I, I just can't imagine at this point there's any doubt. Now, I, I say that I am nowhere near any kind of Kirby expert. I've read a lot of his early Marvel stuff and select of his DC stuff. I've read uh, The Demon. I've read Commandy. I've read, mm, well, that thinking about it, that may be it from DC. I was going to drop a couple other names. Uh, Machine Man, but that was Marvel. I've read his Black Panther. And then all of his early Marvel stuff, you know, Fantastic Four, X-Men, etc., etc., Hulk. Um, the Demon and Commandy. I think I tried to read Forever People and got distracted at some point and never finished it. And that's it. Actually, I just now finished reading a book on war comics, and I read some of his war stuff from early in his career. Uh, but that's that, all of that's been enough that I, I think I can pick out either a Kirby or somebody that's aping Kirby pretty, pretty hard. Um, he just has this really, in my eye, this really distinctive art uh, manner. Down here, we're told... Created, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby, lettered and inked by Mike Royer. So, uh, moving on. Now, I, I am reading this because actually this has, as far as I could find, never been reprinted. So, the only way to read these are from the original books. So, that's what I have in my hand. And 1981, I guess, an eight color still, eight color newsprint. Um, oh, as I smell this book, uh, that's yeah, that's my jam. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I'll I'll take this coloring um, over a lot of the shiny paper, slick paper, oversaturated coloring that you see a lot of times now. I understand that this had its issues. You know, there there were times, many times, when what the colorist envisioned and what he put on the original paper did not come across because of the fact that this was newsprint. Not to mention the uh, being held back by only a certain number of colors, you know, which we certainly benefit from nowadays is not the case. Any color you can imagine. I mean, all colors are available digitally, right? It's it's 
just a matter of the math. Well, so at this time, no. So they had to be a little bit more creative in what they did, but whatever. That, that, that's This isn't, sorry, the discussion that I'm wanting to have. Um, I guess my point is I dig these books. I just, I like looking at them. I like the feel of them. I, this is, yeah, this is my jam. Come on, Clavis. We know what's, and I believe I pronounced it Clavius. It doesn't have an I. It's just K-L-A-B-U-S, Clavis. We know what's happened here, but I can't take offensive action until all doubt is removed. And it's a gentleman of uh, darker ancestry, shall we say? Sure, sure. Run it through the tin brain again, fellas. Captain's orders. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to discern a planet here on their view screen. And the next page, we see the planet as it was at some point in the past and the planet as it is. And the planet as it is is what is causing the problem because this is not the natural life cycle of this planet. At this point in its history, it should not look like this craggy, barren, much burrowed through piece of rock. Uh, Previously, it was a very uh, verdant, I think it's the right word, verdant, um, earth-like looking with water and green and, you know, deserts and mountains and all that. But now it just looks like a big craggy ball of of rock. So the captain is trying to determine um, that it is indeed as it appears. Uh, Clavis, his second in command, is having the people on the ship run scanner checks, run computer checks to see every kind of physical and informational check you can to make sure that this rock is not uh, an, a, a false image or anything like that, that it really is as they're seeing it. Ultimately, after test after test after test, they come to the conclusion that yes, it is. Now, we find out that it's because of this it's because of this. We find out it's this way, excuse me, because of having an insecton infestation. Apparently, they're like uh, locusts. But the thing is, is that after they suck a world dry, they stay there. That's how they want their home. And apparently, they're looking for a home. So they bounce from planet to planet, do this. And then it seems that the galactic rangers have been coming in behind them and essentially destroying the planet out from under them, the insectons, in an effort to destroy them. But some amount, including the queen, lightning lady, escape and start a nest somewhere else. And so the galactic rangers then pursue them to wherever that is, if they can find them. Sometimes it takes them a little while to find them. Sometimes they're able to get a beat on them as soon as they escape. Well, they've arrived at the latest infestation where they have absolutely killed this world and turned it into the uh, rocky, disgusting thing that the insectons prefer. The Galactic Ranger mandate is to stop this. So what they decide that they're going to do is they're going to send a... Well, they don't tell us yet, uh, but they have a device that they use to destroy the planets. And in the infesting of the planets, what the insectons do is they bore, eat out, drill, however they do it. But they they make huge holes in the planet that lead down some depth into the planet where they then start to um, uh, make channels and hallways and things like that. So they, to get into the the internal workings, the guts, let's say, of the planet, they, they do these big holes. And then they start to spread out in all of their living chambers and whatnot as they Um, take over the planet. So the captain, 
Victory. Um, I just, I guess we could just call him Captain Victory. That's all he's referred to in this book. Captain Victory uh, decides that he's going to go to the bridge on the top of their big spaceship. And the problem is, is that when the Insectons, they're a space-faring race as well. So when they discover that the Galactic Rangers are here, which we find out they are here via one huge, gigantic ship, kind of like the, uh, yeah, the big ships that uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. uses in the Marvel movies and in the Marvel comic books where it's as big as a city and people live on it and everything that they need is there. Helicarriers. There we go. Uh, only this is much, much bigger than that, and it's the you know Pacific Comics Kirby Galactic Ranger equivalent in space, if that makes sense. Uh, but what happens is they get counterattacked by ships from the Insectons, and this bridge that Captain Victory is going to apparently is atop the ship and is in a very exposed, vulnerable position. So what that means is that in order to lead this attack, he's going to a place on the ship that is very exposed and very likely to draw fire because the alien ships are going to realize that the leader of their uh, invading force is located, uh, sequestered, if you will, in this exposed portion of the ship and make him a target much more so than he would normally be. Uh, the crew objects to this, but Captain Victory continues on. He he says it's the best place to lead from. I, with all of the mechanics and computers and all that kind of stuff, I don't. I I think this is just for like story purposes, which it's not overly used either. But so uh, they commence to attack the planet, kind of softening it up for this final blow that the Galactic Rangers normally do uh, to an infested planet to try to destroy it. And sure enough, uh, this portion of the ship is attacked and the captain is killed. However, things have advanced enough at this time that that is not the end-all, be-all necessarily of an individual. They, they have ways of uh, overcoming death, I guess, if you will. So we have uh, now Clavis uh, takes command and we have several panels of space battle. We see the results where several of the Insecton ships are destroyed, and the Insectons are now just floating around in space, dead. Um, not particularly bloody or gruesome, but just images of the after-effects of the destroying of those ships. In the midst of this, we cut to the far side of the planet, where we see that Lady, that uh, Lightning Lady, is making her escape with, you know, however many members of the Insecton race that she needs to. Uh, colonize the next planet, but also to pilot this ship. Now, we, we don't have a comparison between her ship and what the Galactic Ranger ship is, but I would say that it is much smaller. It does have lots of people in it, but it's a, it's a smaller ship. Um, the Insecton ship fires up to go into warp. Um, let's see what they call it. They just say going to light speed. But in order to do that, to power the ship, the power comes from Lady Lightning directly. So she is some sort of energy manipulator or she's, you know, I don't know, a living sun or something like that. But she powers the ship. And so she is the on-off switch for their jump to light speed, which they do. And her second-in-command has found the next perfect planet for them to try to infest and take over and destroy and what have you. And we learn that it is, well, it tells us somewhere, and I guess not at this portion of the story yet. But it, it turns out to be Earth. So 
that is what maybe when they pursue her and they catch up with her, they find out that she's around Earth. I thought when they first found it that they indicated it was Earth. There's a big full-page Kirby spread that looks to be a um, – what they called it is escaping me, but it's a, a paste-up where they would cut – pieces from other things and they would paste them and then that's what would become the page in the uh, in the comic book it looks to me by the way this art looks that that must have been what they did somebody out there who remembers save me having to look that up and tell me what that technique was called it's escaping me but yeah it, it doesn't tell us there that it's earth but it, it's going to turn out to be earth that she jumps to so after she jumps and gets away, we cut back to the Galactic Ranger ship where we see that they're working on Captain Victory. And we find that what they have done is they have learned the ability to, to clone. So they they have backup bodies for Captain Victory and others. Uh, it's not just a uh, privilege of, of being in charge, per se. It's, it's a standard operating procedure. And they're in the process of transferring his, his consciousness... I guess, into this other body. Now, where that consciousness came from, how they got it, I'm not sure. Thanks to the memory storage unit, we've transferred his identity to this new body. So I guess they must, a la the X-Men, they must back up the consciousness periodically and, uh, if need be, transfer it to a new body. Now, of course, there's a, a gap uh, that is going to be, and, and they acknowledge this as well, um, I say they because the X-Men have acknowledged it currently also. There's going to be a break from the last backup you had to when you go in the new body, right? And so anything in that interim period, the person has no knowledge of. So what exactly caused their death or how they died, they probably will never know because the backup occurred before. Uh, all they can do is rely on people to tell them what happened. Now, the X-Men... They seem to do something to where I think some people will have memories of what led up to their death. I'm not sure how that works if they have to back them up, but uh, this isn't the X-Men. This is Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. Were there survivors? A few, Clavis says. We drove them back into the hive. Any indication of the of the Lightning Lady's whereabouts? No, sir, of her. I think that she and her retinue got away. Good word, retinue. The Insectons never change tactics. They fight and die to cover the escape of their hive leader. They sure kept us busy. We didn't get the chance to track her down. So now uh, Captain Victory gives the word to use their ultimate device here, the World Killer. And it is, uh, again, it, it's a bomb of some nature, and it's a huge Kirby-esque looking thing. It's as big as, you know, many of the fighter spaceships that they have gone up against. But what they do is they launch it, and it has to get as deep into the planet as it can in order to do its dirty work. So they launch it into uh, the largest travel pit that they can find on the planet. This does uh, such a, a remarkable job that, of course, everybody has to pull back a, a set distance away because of the explosion and everything. The Galactic Rangers don't seem too concerned with the insectons that were left on the planet, it's okay for them to die because they're bad guys anyways. Uh, so I guess there's no redeeming them. Clavis and the captain, though, walk up to this odd wall, and they have to hold on to these handles that are on the wall when this ship jumps to light speed. Until they smooth out this routine of leaping from one galaxy to another, we'll have to cling to these grips like children, says Clavis. 
There are tougher ways of making the jump. We could sleep through it for a hundred years, says Captain Victory. And the, the panel where they jump is a very uh, kinetic-y, vibration-y kind of thing. Everything goes kind of, uh, it doesn't go plaid, uh, but it goes kind of stripey, um, almost a, an electronic-y looking kind of thing. And then the next panel, it all returns to normal as they arrive at the destination for the jump. Opening a viewing screen, they watch as this former planet, which I believe I can tell you what it was. It was, let's see, Talent 4, T-A-L-L-A-N-T, Talent 4 is the name of this planet. Uh, the Galactic Rangers destroy it. It, it becomes a, uh, a meteor band, uh, like, you know, between us and Mars. Meteor band? Yeah, anyways. Uh, so they then turn their attention to finding out where... Lightning Lady went exactly. They they don't know at this point. They haven't had really the time to you know search it out and try to figure it out. This is where Mister Mind pops up. The Lightning Lady didn't slip by me. I sought her and found her. He says, "Well, do tell us more." I'd advise it, Big Brain says Captain Victory. Big Mouth is more like it, but I suspect he knows the answer despite his ego trip. Says Clavis. So here, I guess we're trying to do that um, character development uh, via personality kind of thing that i don't know uh quippy quippy people it, it just never i, I always want to just poke them right in the eyeball uh for being too quippy because it just it annoys me uh, more often than not it was a super effort of thought casting a contest between my very own brain waves and our batteries of sensors i reached out and locked onto her fleeing ship then i caught images of her intended course she's heading for this planet on the rim of our galaxy it's a light year jump of great magnitude. And Clavis says, that was all Mr. Mind. Clavis says, if her ship can do it, she'll lose herself in the boondocks. Captain Victory says, we can make that jump too. What's more, we'll beat the bushes until we find the solar system which holds that planet. Oh, let me do it, Captain. Don't leave such a delightful task to clacking computers, says Mr. Mind. Our machines haven't clacked for centuries, Mr. Mind. Your job is to use them, not compete with them. Then let me in on the action. Let me fight at your side when you tangle with the insectons. Your job is to stay in that life-sustaining unit and play with math, not mayhem, says Clavis. And uh, he says that because Mr. Mind appears as a giant head that is encapsulated in a disc uh, that flies around, almost like the... Uh, typical UFO with the platter and uh, the uh, hump on the top. That hump is occupied by Mr. Mind, uh, his whole head and face. Um, I don't know if he has uh, an atrophied body or if he's just a head or, you know, what it is. A pretty typical Kirby creation. Put me in mind of that, um, that one image in, I think, Commandy, where you have the person that has become part of the the block. And those of you that have read Commandy know exactly that scene that I'm talking about. I forget the whys and the wheres of that, but the, it, it seems to be a, a Kirby thing of uh, that type of human mechanical or biological mechanical kind of grossness that he, he seems to like a little bit. So Mr. Mine heads off, um, and that is the end of this particular story. Now we have a second... Uh, maybe a second act. I'm a little confused as to what that is, but across the galaxy to planet Earth. And Captain Victory is saying, Peace, gentlemen, cool your triggers. 
and it is this year on a hill overlooking Highway 41 north of Spartanville, Colorado. Captain Victory is talking to a couple Earth um, sheriff's deputies, I believe is what they are. And he calls forth, Captain Victory calls forth, a huge ship that, again, is just uh, actually it's um, labeled IGR here on the side. What is that? Intergalactic Rangers, maybe? IGR? Galactic Rangers? I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll find out. It's been above us all this time, camouflaged by a color spectrum alien to this galaxy. What you see is the Dreadnought Tiger, your shield against the dangers that lurk in deep space. And it is hammering away at the surface with some sort of energy beam. And one of the deputies says, then why doesn't it do its fighting in deep space? Why is it firing into those hills? And next we're told, don't miss Death Hive USA. The next, let me go back. There was an ad well, there's been several ads, but there was an ad here early on that is just for, it's a full page for Captain Victory, where you can sign up to get it delivered directly to you. And then on into the story, there was an ad for distributors and retailers where you can find the book, which that was pretty cool. Moving on, we have the second part of that ad, which to me, uh, I'm in West Virginia, so I looked here. And I see that the place to get the book in 1981 of July in West Virginia was Felix's Fantasies in Fairmont, West Virginia. I did a quick Google search out of curiosity, and there is no record of that in Google. Um, so you would have to do a pretty deep dive elsewhere to find any reference to Felix's Fantasies in Fairmont. Now, that is the only store listed. I know today there's probably uh, 50 or 60 stores scattered throughout the state of West Virginia. Most of them not very good, I may add. So here, after the story pages, we are closing out the book with two pages of Kirby information, if I can call it that. Small, small Arms in the Galactic Arsenal is one uh, panel. Special Section Troops, another panel. We have a panel here with individuals that we have seen and not seen. And then a panel for Galactic Military Insignias, and each panel takes up half a page. The final uh, book page tells us about Captain Victory from editor Dave Scroggy, and then an ad that next issue will have a letters page called Voices of Victory, so send your letters. Inside back cover is an ad for what will turn out to be the next release, I believe, from Pacific. Uh, well, the next book released. There's another issue of... Captain Victory that will come out, but the next book that will be released is called Star Slayer, The Log of the Jolly Roger. Uh, very high on my list of to read. It's coming from Mike Grell. So that will be some of the books also that we talk about in this Pacific Comics coverage. Back cover, suppose our first space visitors are not benevolent. I have said that for years. Suppose they're natural ravagers, the plague of the universe, the perfect takeover society. How do we handle the lightning lady and her insectons? And there's a full page color uh, page of lightning lady being held aloft by like a, a dais that is being held by the insectons as everyone is advancing. And we see various insectons here in, in a crowd and they are very, actually they're kind of uh, demon-like or uh, Kirby, um, yeah, uh, the the those flying creatures that Darkseid uses all the time. Again, I apologize. My brain is not functioning well. I'm working on my first cup of coffee this morning. Okay, so 
I believe that's uh, that's pretty much everything in Captain Victory. Looks like the next book um, that I will be talking about in the Pacific's coverage will be Captain Victory issue number two. The next episode of the podcast, I will be talking about the first issue of Samurai, dated January 1986 from Aircell Comics. So those are the things that are I would say that you have to look forward to if you look forward to them. Uh, otherwise, those are the things upcoming shortly uh, either way. Thanks for hanging in there for the last half hour or so, guys. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you again next time. Ciao.